Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Saints in Society. I'm Brad, this is Rick. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about watered down gospels. We believe that there is one true gospel, one true message of good news that is completely and totally about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and how through him, through his grace, and by faith alone, we have salvation from sin and eternal life uh, secured for us. But there are worldviews and religions and ideas out there that take a version of that, add something to it, and then make it make it something completely different. And so we want to talk about those. Uh, we're going to cover Catholicism and Seventh-day Adventists today and look at how what they have added to the gospel has watered the gospel down and made it into something that is dangerous. And uh, we would even go so far to say damning. So thanks for being with us today. Uh, let's jump in. This is Saints in Society a podcast with an aim and focus on equipping saints to live in and engage with their society. With help from experts and through diving into the word, we seek to learn how to engage culture in its terms, but not of it. We believe the gospel speaks to all areas of life and provides the answers we are looking for. So we aim to equip saints with applying the gospel to our lives, living as saints in society. Brad, my brother and sister-in-law are in town and we were hanging out last night and asked him this question. If, if you could have essentially like a redo, a do-over or something that you could go back in time and say like, I never did this. Maybe I lacked courage to do it. Maybe I didn't know how I would do it. I always wanted to do it. This is one thing that I kind of regret ne never taking mm -hmm. a stab at. What would three things be for oh, you? Three. Whew. Yeah. I know one would be learn an instrument. Okay. I wish that I played the drums when I was like in middle school and early high school uh i wasn't very good but i did it and i wish i really like music i don't i have a horrible voice so i could never sing but i wish that i would have learned guitar or piano okay. or some kind of instrument two, two more two more hopefully they're not as boring as that one <laughs> <laughs> um well now i gotta come up yeah. with something really <laughs> good something crazy you want me to go yeah you go yeah. maybe it'll give me some inspiration okay so my first one would have been uh, taking school seriously and oh. it, so that I could attempt to play sports. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, staying in school, that would have been a, that would have been a good one. Two would have been uh, joining uh, Buds and, and trying to go for the Navy SEALs. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Third would have been like bull riding or like steer wrestling or something like okay. that. Some sort I of still, rodeo. Yeah. I still want to do that one. Kind of. Just something rodeo-ish <laughs> sounds fun. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if my body can handle it, but it just sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I thought of another one. I wish I would have taken... Uh, so outside of wanting to learn how to play the clarinet. Yeah. Uh, what, are, well, what are your other two? I wish I would have taken, taken working out seriously in high school. Oh, okay. Because I think like uh, playing... I engage now on a meat ad thing. I'm like, yeah, tell me oh, more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Screw that clarinet. <laughs> um, uh, none of our sports programs ever had like a serious lifting component to it like the f week before football practice with pads would start we'd go in the weight room a little bit but it was never like yeah. like we just bench press and do bicep curls and i i wish that i would have why would you do more than that well <laughs> as functional as those movements are <laughs> for any sport <laughs> I've always uh, said this. No one at the beach is like, look at that guy. He's probably really good at functional movements. No one cares, you know? <laughs> they look at that guy and true. they're like, yeah. yeah. I didn't, I, I wasn't worried about the beach. It was more like being better at sports. <laughs> you were worried about the beach in Christmas Valley, Oregon? No, yeah, okay. there is no beach in, in Christmas Valley, Oregon. What would your third one be? 
I think my third one, I've gone back and forth on this. I wish I would have maybe studied abroad in college. Mm. I go back and forth. That was because, my wife's. She said that one too. Yeah, yeah. I I had an opportunity. There was like a program in Jerusalem that I was talking to a professor about doing. I'm glad I didn't because Jenna and I were dating. And so I don't know how that would have gone, but I really like traveling and college is like a great time to do that because you generally aren't married, don't have kids, you know, there's some mm-hmm. purpose beyond just like traveling. And so I think studying abroad would have been fun and college would have been a good opportunity to do that. Yeah. So. All right. Now that we are done reliving our regrets, uh, <laughs> let's, let's jump into our conversation today. So this last Sunday, uh, you preached on second Timothy chapter one, we, our church has been going through a series in second Timothy. We've titled mm-hmm. that series, the legacy, uh, because second Timothy is Paul's last letter that we have from him written to Timothy. And it's, we think of it as like his deathbed wishes. Mm-hmm. What is most important to Paul is he is facing execution. Uh, and so he, Timothy was a disciple of his and he's, he's hoping and, and trusting Timothy to carry on the work that Paul has been doing. So what is the legacy that Paul wants to leave behind? What's the legacy that he's passing on to Timothy that he wants to pass on to the next generation? That legacy is the gospel. So second Timothy is all about the, the protection and passing along of the gospel through the value and preaching of the word of God. Uh, and so on, and you covered chapter one on Sunday and how we are, we are charged to protect the gospel. Mm-hmm. And you used an illustration I thought was really helpful. You pulled out a bottle of wine uh, on stage on Sunday, uh, which <laughs> if you listen to the last episode, isn't going to surprise you. Uh, you said it was a really expensive bottle of wine. It wasn't, but besides the point, you poured a glass of wine and then you added water to the wine and all the wine lovers in the room, and we had quite a few in our church, <laughs> lost their minds. Uh, and there was audible shouts of despair uh, because you had just ruined this glass of wine. So th- the idea is the wine is the gospel. And if you add anything to it, it all of a sudden does not because it's no longer the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's been tainted and ruined. And I think you could probably even argue chemically the wine is no longer what it once was because yeah, it's it's, because the water has been added to it. You, you also took a little cap full of water, just a tiny little bit, and dropped that into the, the glass of wine and said, even now, it's no longer the same. So the point of that is we protect the gospel from anything being added to it. The minute you add something to the gospel, even the smallest sliver of human effort or whatever it might be, you no longer have the true gospel. I think this is what Paul is so fired up about in his letter to the Galatians mm-hmm. and saying, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You began by grace through faith, and now you think that you're going to be perfected through works. That's not how. That's not how this works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, so we have a, a task to, or a charge to protect the gospel from anything being added to it, for risk of watering it down and making it something other than what it what it actually is. And so, we're, we're going to do a podcast today, and we might do more in the future that covers some alternate worldviews that maybe we're familiar with, maybe some we're not as familiar with as Christians that could mask as true Christianity, that could mask as a pure glass of wine, mm-hmm. but in reality, something's been added to it uh, and it's, it's, it's not what, what it appears or not what it seems. Some of these might be a little more obvious than others, but I think it's helpful for us as saints living in a society with all kinds of competing worldviews and religions to know what is the true gospel and what are these other worldviews and religions and ideologies adding to the gospel that's actually changing it. With our, with our charge to protect it. 
So today we're going to talk about two worldviews. Uh, we're going to talk about Catholicism and Seventh-day Adventists, which would you call that a worldview? I think some would call it a denomination, and I'm not sure what to call it because of how much people are striving for our Christian evangelical community to be mm -hmm. ecumenical. Yeah. People are, so for so much of church history, it was called a cult. And, and, and now people are saying, well, they just might be misled. We're not comfortable calling them a cult. There's some areas where we have some caution, some regard um, that they have heterodox views that are outside of orthodox views. Mm -hmm. And I think those should be looked at. So, yeah. so yeah. It's helpful maybe to also, so from a secular point of view, if you read any kind of census report on religion, a lot of what we're going to talk about would fall under the like umbrella banner of Christian or Christianity. Mm -hmm. So Catholicism, for example, is oftentimes referred to as the largest branch or denomination or sect of Christianity of all the Christians in the world. Catholics make up 60% of it. And so you might hear something from Catholics or Mormons that all, all Catholics are Christians, all Mormons are Christians, but not all Christians are Mormon or Catholic. And so what we want to do is we want to push against that and say that actually we have separate categories and we have separate categories because of what's been added to the gospel that makes it watered down and no longer, no longer the gospel. Yeah. And, and also Seventh-day Adventism, and we'll just call it SDA. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> It's also a really large worldwide religion that would fit underneath the Christian umbrella as well. At least that's what it's being referred to. I would push back to that. Uh, and, and so I'll just read this real quick. Seventh-day Adventists compose one half of 1% of the U.S. adult population and 1.2 million people in, the North, in North America belong to the, to the denomination. So, but around the world, there are 18.1 million SDAs, making them a larger global presence than the Southern Baptist Convention at 15.5 million, the United Methodist Church at 12.8 million, or Mormonism at 15.3 oh, million. Wow. So I remember even when we were in like the Caribbeans or something like that, they had such a strong presence there. So they do have a strong presence globally, though maybe not so much in the U.S. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So we do want to say before we kind of jump in here, this might be a sensitive I'll say this from my own personal experience. I have family members who are Catholic. Mm -hmm. My grandparents on my mom's side both passed away Catholic. Mm -hmm. And so we're the, the, the things we're talking about and what's right or wrong theologically in regards to the gospel is not somehow removed from our real world experiences. We have people from our church in our church that come from Catholic backgrounds or maybe baptized in the Catholic church. You were baptized in the Catholic I was, church. I was baptized as an infant in the Catholic um, church. Yeah. have family members, uh, that still operate in the Catholic church and maybe even some people who know someone who is in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And so we don't, we don't wade into this. Uh, we, we're trying not to wade into this insensitively, but we also are taking Paul's words seriously that we need to protect the gospel. Mm -hmm. uh, and we do that by pointing out some errors or flaws in, in false gospels. Yeah, it's so, good. Uh, so let's maybe start. I'll just start kind of with Catholicism and you can jump in as you de seem fit or deem yeah. fit. Yeah. See fit. Do you think I'm really going to correct you on your, uh, on your pronunciations, Brad? No. Okay. <laughs> um, that's a massive log in my eye. <laughs> so when we, when we look at Roman Catholicism, there's a lot of things we could talk about that have been added to the gospel. Hey, before we do that, Rick, why don't you tell us what the gospel is so that when we talk about what has been added to it, we have a clear frame of reference. 
Yeah. The gospel is the good news. And it's the good news of one specific person. That specific person is Jesus Christ. It's his life lived out in complete obedience. It's his death on the cross that's in our place, which as I said yesterday, salvation and what Christ did saved us from God and his wrath, but saved us to God to be reconciled with him. The gospel is Christ's resurrection proving what he said on the cross was true. It's all finished, proving that he's victorious over all sin and over death. And then his ascension where he's seated at the right hand of God. The gospel, if you add any drip ounce speck or dot of our effort is no longer the gospel. It is solely, completely the work and finished work of Christ. The gospel's not due, it's done. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. So that's the gospel. What have what has Roman Catholicism and uh, Seventh-day Adventists added to that to make it no longer the gospel? Uh, big issue, there's kind of a couple big issues with Catholicism. The first one would be their elevation of tradition as authority next to scripture. So this is why there's a lot of attention as to what the Pope is saying, what councils have said, because tradition and the authority of clergy, church leadership, is as authoritative as scripture. They hold those two things in tandem together. So it's not to say that scripture doesn't hold authority. It's just that it it holds authority in conjunction with the authority of tradition. And so there are, as Protestants, we would say there's issues with this. The Protestant Reformation began because Luther and others around that that time saw scripture as being authoritative alone. And when you add human authority next to that and their interpretation of scripture, um, then you you start to lose your your bearing on what is actually true. Uh, and so over the years, views and beliefs and ideas in the Catholic Church have changed because authority has changed and decided things have been different. And so that's a that's a, a major issue. When you have tradition and scripture, it's really hard to have two authorities. Mm-hmm. Eventually, one wins out. And in... The, with, with a contradiction. Yeah. And that's a problem with Mormonism, who we would deem a cult or... Right. Jehovah's Witness, which maybe we'll get to another mm-hmm. time, but yeah, they're going to contradict. And so, so since you went authority, I'll go authority. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one of my problems with seven, uh, with SDA is that uh, they elevate. So just a quick backstory. So SDA originated and started in upstate New York from a guy named William Miller and his followers were called the Millerites. And so essentially what he predicted was on, I want to say it was like March 1st, 1843, from his predictions on uh, a passage in Daniel, he predicted that Christ was going to return between March 1st, 1843 and March 1st, 1844. That didn't come to pass. The person who came in and took over his movement after him was a woman named Ellen White. And Ellen White is known as, I I mean, she's like the figure in the SDA church and uh, she's a prophetess and her, her word and her writings, which even even their scholars in SDAs that say like 90% of her writings were plagiarized. And then some other people are like, no, 2%. I was like, well, that's a big, <laughs> that's a big, that's a massive difference. But still there's recognized plagiarism, but her writings are equated to the authority of scripture. And so if she were to say something that went against scripture, they would argue that we would go with what Ellen White has said. And so her, her authority is elevated to the same place scripture. And so again, that's my number one problem. Where, where does your authority lie? Uh, lie? 
And with SDAs, it's not just with scripture, it's also with what Ellen White says. And since she she's probably, we, we have more writings from her than any other woman who's written for, we'll just put them underneath the evangelical umbrella for now. So we have a ton of writing by her. And so people are constantly looking, great, well, this is what scripture says, but also what does Ellen White say on this subject and stuff? So yeah, they've elevated her to a place of authority. So yeah. that, that'd be my problem. Yeah. First, I mean, first problem. Yeah, first problem. <laughs> and it's probably the problem that leads to the rest of the problems is the minute you remove God through his word as the authority and start introducing human authority, yes. and you're going to have human ideas instead of God's ideas. Uh, so let's move to salvation then. How is salvation obtained? Um, how, how, how is one saved in these, in these two different uh, views? So in Catholicism, you're going to hear that it's salvation is by grace and there's going to be uh, everything that ha- uh, the talk of salvation in the Catholic church is going to fall under the umbrella of grace. Mm-hmm. But I would say that we probably define grace differently. So you are in the Catholic church, you are saved by grace, but then in order to maintain that salvation, there are all these sacraments and things that Here must comes be the done. water to the wine. Yeah. And this is where the water starts getting dripped in it. I, I think it's more of a drip. It's a bit of a pour mm-hmm. um, in, in Catholicism uh, because baptism has power and means to regenerate and save. Uh, the Lord's Supper has power and means to impart grace. Um, your confession has mm-hmm. mean or has power and means to impart grace. Uh, you can purchase less of a penalty in purgatory through indulgences. And so there's, uh, th- there's now money added mm-hmm. into the mix as, as a way to receive grace. Speaking of purgatory, so a- after all of this life of doing everything you can, all these good works to try to be saved, you end up in purgatory where the rest of your sin gets burned off, which takes the efficacy, the removes the power in the cross to actually purify people once and for all. So so that's 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 the big issue here with Catholicism is how is someone saved? Is it by faith alone, through grace alone and Christ alone, or is it by faith plus some of your works? And though it might not be said explicitly in Catholicism, it's by grace and faith plus then your your human efforts, mm-hmm. um, which creates all kinds of anxiety and pressure. Guilt. And guilt among people who yeah feel like there's something they need to do to be saved mm-hmm. um and i think i think these ideas have in a lot of ways can bleed into evangelical christianity where we get distorted views on baptism and people want uh, yeah you know my kids got baptized we finally got that done and taken care of you know like that has some power mm-hmm. to save or confession or doing good deeds as a way to like earn something from god uh, i've heard i read one guy say that Catholicism is just baby. It's like another version of Judaism, which Paul was speaking against mm-hmm. in the first century. And in, in Galatians, for example, it was yeah, okay, you're you, you've been saved by the grace of Christ, but now you must be circumcised to mm-hmm. stay in the fold. And in Catholicism, it's okay, yeah, you've been saved by the grace of of Jesus Christ, but now you must do X Y Z to stay in the fold. And with Paul, we would say by no means. That's not that's not the gospel. Yeah. That's good. For SDAs, one of the areas where it's a watered down gospel, a Jesus plus something is, well, there's kind of two big areas, but the one is their doctrine on, uh, so since William Miller butchered his prediction, which even, I guess he didn't read the passage about no one knows the day, the time and the hour. 
mm-hmm. but apparently he did at do you least. Ever, do you ever wonder? I've seen billboards, you know, the end of the world. Do you ever wonder what happens to the guys that get it wrong? I, well, like, do they just fade to black and like? <laughs> so like, so so here's the way that they rescued William uh, Miller. Okay, yeah. Is another guy said, "Oh no 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 no! It's not that he was wrong. It's that what happened." is that Christ moved into a different part. He moved uh, of the sanctuary. So he moved into the most holy place and what he was, what he's doing there. And, and, and so this is called uh, sanctuary doctrine. So what Christ is doing now is it's, it's investigative judgment. So he is, he is looking at the people um, who his atonement has been applied to and seeing if they're living lives worthy of the eternal life that he has. Uh, and so the way they do that is through uh, an, an entire sanctification or becoming sinless. And so in that, it's we, we understand this, that the gospel is not only responsible for our justification, which means that we are legally uh, declared righteous before God, but it's also in charge of our sanctification is, and it doesn't just get us in and now it's up to us, but it's the very thing that keeps us in, that sustains us, that motivates us, that actually spurs and, and, and motivates our life of sanctification. Well, in this, it wouldn't be that it would be the gospel got you in. Now your sanctification is up to you to prove that your justification is legit. Mm. You rob Christ of his sufficiency by adopting the views that the SDAs have, because apparently his atonement wasn't sufficient enough and so now he's going to have to just observe, which also that's so weird to me because Christ is all knowing. So obviously he knows what you're going to do with the atonement that he's given you. Mm-hmm. And so what, what they're saying is that he's, he's went and they're basing this off of two verses in the entire Bible, uh, Hebrew eight, one and two. I don't think they're looking at Hebrews 10. I don't think they're looking at Christ's ascension to the right hand of God, that it was a once and for all time sacrifice that he made anything like that. They're just excusing all that. They've taken their little proof text that they've cherry picked and said, we'll use this. And actually, if you read that, which I could read it now, but I don't, I don't have it pulled up. I don't believe it's giving any sort of evidence to him entering into a different level Mm -hmm. or a different sanctuary. So basically where Christ is at now, and this happened after 2,300 days, he entered into the other room so he can basically judge those that he has saved and see if they're worthy of salvation that he's going to give them. And if not on the day of judgment, then they have not proven to be worthy of the salvation that he's provided. So that's called sanctuary doctrine, uh, which is very, very disturbing. Again, robbing Christ of his work of atonement, the finished work that he did. I mean, he said it is finished. I think the sense of eternal security that we have in Christ that he says, all that the father has given me, I will lose none. Mm-hmm. Man. So there's that. The, the other piece of this is in order to be a faithful SDA, uh, you have to adopt their views on Sabbatarianism. In other words, you have to observe the Sabbath on a Saturday. We as Protestants believe that the Sabbath is the day that Christ resurrected Sunday. They believe it's Saturday, but it's, we also believe that we are not saved by our observance of the Sabbath. They believe that, that you have to observe the Sabbath. They also believe that you have to uh, abstain from certain foods, caffeine, you and I are gone, alcohol, you and I are gone, pork, you and I are gone. And, And there's other foods that you can't eat. And this is an ongoing thing. So again, I don't think that's the direction the gospel takes you, as you've mentioned before, I believe the gospel takes you in the other direction towards the freedoms that you have in Christ and all of these things, observing Sabbath, uh, sanctuary doctrine, uh, abstaining from certain foods is watering down the gospel. It's, it's yes, Jesus will save you by his grace and, and, and he will declare you righteous. But then at this point and this point forward, you better observe Sabbath on Saturday if you want to continue to be saved. You better make sure that your life is pursuing entire sanctification, meaning sinlessness, Mm -hmm. uh, which Paul's in big trouble, uh, who calls himself the chief of sinners. 
you have to make sure your life is in this. You have to abstain from certain foods. That's how you're going to pass the test because right now Jesus is sitting in this other room investigating your life. Hmm. Uh, it's striking me how similar they are. Like oh, I, yeah. I, I didn't realize. Because man is the inventor right. of religion and man always figures out a way to get man inside of it mm-hmm. to make it about man, what man can do, what man can accomplish to rob Christ mm-hmm. of the beauty of what he's done and finished perfectly and watered down yeah. his amazing gospel. Yeah. You have two human authorities that are trumping scriptural authority. Mm-hmm. You have a salvation that is on the surface by Jesus's grace. But then once in, there's a laundry list of things you have to do to stay in. And at the end of it all, you're still being judged mm-hmm. either in the sanctuary or in purgatory. Or in purgatory. Yeah. It's like at the end of the day, Christ, what Christ did still isn't enough. You, you said it. I feel like you said this and it, it's hitting me more now after the fact, but robbing Christ. I feel like it's so offensive to Christ and what we would say he, not what we would say he went through, what he went through. Mm-hmm. It's why did Jesus have to go through what he did on the cross if at the end of the day, it's still up to us to somehow purify and sanctify ourselves to a point where we can make it into heaven? Mm-hmm. Like why did he have to have to die? Um, why did he have to experience the wrath of God? Why did he have to like, like, why did his blood have to be shed? You're just completely robbing the significance of, of what Jesus yeah. did when you start to add our own human efforts to it. Maybe this is a bad illustration and this thought's not completely worked out, but someone goes through some extreme measure to save your life. And, and I mean, you're, you're as good as dead. They do something and they completely give their life in a way that saves you, but it destroys them. Mm-hmm. And then you show up to the funeral and then flick a penny on their grave. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that is in a lot of ways what it is for us to like show our gratitude to God is like, here, like, here's a little something I'll chip in or add so I can say I, it's like, whoa, yeah. it's like, like the appropriate response is you've, you've done it all. Mm-hmm. All I can do is hit my knees and say, thank you, you yeah. know, and, and live my life in such a way. But you don't get to go back and add something to the already completed and finished work as though you're making it more complete because Christ didn't say from the cross, it is almost finished. Right. <laughs> he said it is finished. He wasn't mm-hmm. like, yeah, I got, I, I did the 98%. I did part, yeah. The 2% is you now abstaining from food, knowing that in, in 2300, you know, or 2300 years from now, I'm going to enter in this different thing mm-hmm. and, make sure that you are doing these works and doing these things. It's like, no, he said it is finished. Mm -hmm. Then his resurrection proved that to be true, you know? So, uh, okay. Let's bring this down. Maybe on a relational level, I'll ask you, we'll ask each other the question. Maybe we don't need to answer it twice, but would you say that someone who is Seventh-day Adventist is saved? I would say I have an extreme measure of caution toward their belief system and what it's taking you toward. I don't know man's heart, but I do know that we are called to test the spirits. I do know that, that we can evaluate people's beliefs and see where those beliefs are leading. I do think that, that we are to judge those inside of the church, even as Paul says that. And, and so I, I, I am not comfortable to say that I think that SDAs are living inside of Orthodox Christianity. Mm-hmm. I think that they have taken a gospel plus. And the reason why it scares me more is because when you're a straight up cult or a Satan worshiper or something extreme, like everyone goes, yeah, that's, that's mm-hmm. obviously super jacked up. When you're this, it looks pretty. 
mm-hmm. you know, or it can look like, man, what a, what a sacrificial life. And so I think it's more dangerous, but I, I don't think that it's moving people to a bigger view of God, a bigger view of our depravity, a bigger view of the cross and what Jesus accomplished for us. I think it's moving people toward a, a smaller view of God, a, a, a how amazing we can be by, you know, becoming sinless. Mm-hmm. And then I think we diminish the cross. It doesn't get bigger. God's grace doesn't get bigger. I think that gap becomes smaller of what Christ has fulfilled, which I think in mature Christians that we go, wow, mm-hmm. when I became a Christian, the cross was like this big. Now it's massive because I understand how broken I am, how amazing God is. And so our church isn't a part of the local church network here uh, that, that tries to get all churches together. To me, it just you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just be blunt. It feels like a parachurch kind of, mm-hmm. and, and they're all about being ecumenical. Um, the problem is, is I'm not comfortable locking arms with SDAs. So maybe mm-hmm. that answers your question yeah. more clearly. And so if, if they're a part of this group and we're saying that they are operating under Orthodox Christianity, I'm, I'm going to struggle to say, no, um, I think theology and doctrine divides. And I think that we have some things that we really have to I guess I'd have to have a really clear conversation. And then if, if they were able to answer those questions, honestly, then I would say, well, then why are you going to stay inside of this church that's leading you this direction? I think if you actually do understand this message that you need to get out of this church, in fact, run mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and come over and get inside of a local church that actually believes that the gospel is sufficient and it moves you toward Christ's likeness, not by all of your man efforts, mm-hmm. but through the work of the spirit of God, taking you back constantly to the work that Christ has done for you. Yeah, that's good. How would you answer? Uh, very similarly. I think, I do think it's a, maybe uh, important to note with Catholicism. And I wonder if this is true with SDA, with Mormon, your average parishioner, oh, yeah. your average Catholic layperson might be very unaware of the theology of the Catholic Church. I think there can be a, a discrepancy between what does the Catholic Church authoritatively believe and then what does your your average Catholic mass goer believe. Mm-hmm. Now, that's concerning in and of itself because there's a, a lack of, you know, communication somewhere, you know, break break breaking down there. I think that someone in the Catholic Church could probably not could probably God can do we don't God could do this. I think you might be able to find a Catholic or someone who is in the Catholic church and is saved. However, I agree with you that if someone truly is saved by, and they understand that to be by the grace of Jesus alone, then that is going to put them on a trajectory away from the Catholic church mm-hmm. over the long haul. So, yeah, I think like we said at the beginning, even a drop of water in that glass of wine makes that makes it no longer wine. Mm-hmm. And even a, a drop of human efforts in the gospel makes it no longer the gospel. And so you have, I think, more than just a drop even with what the Catholic Church would say is the gospel. And so I don't think it's the gospel. And so I think if someone if someone is bought into Catholic theology, hook, line, and sinker, I do not think that we could say that that is salvation because they're going to be looking to themselves in some way mm-hmm. to sustain that that salvation. You start um, by looking at Christ. You stay by looking mm-hmm. at Christ. You're sustained by staring at Christ. Your eternal security is always from staring at Christ, yeah. not yeah. to yourself. Yeah. It's God who calls. It's God who justifies. Mm-hmm. It's God who sanctifies. And it's God who's going to, at the end of the day, glorify. Yep. So, yeah, I would have I would have a lot of concern and caution. Uh, John Piper it, it, it has been, he's said very strongly that he believes the Catholic Church has led millions you know, into damnation to hell because of, I would agree with Piper because of how 
close it looks and how like you said it's pretty it's not it's not a, a, a devil worshiping cult mm. it's the largest branch of christianity in the world mm -hmm. and so so it's it's a it's a clever i think disguise i think by the enemy to mask what is harmful damning theology with christiany stuff yeah. and then i think it leads people astray so i would be very cautious and have a lot of concern like you said uh to call someone again i don't know their heart but i would have a lot of concern and i think the trajectory would be away from the catholic church over yeah. the long haul that's so. good maybe maybe to close rick let's let's do something that you're not prepared for um my guess is that like you and me our listeners have probably close relationships with people who might be seventh day adventist or might be catholic mm -hmm. Uh, friends, family, and maybe with a maybe someone who's wrestling with their own theology on these mm -hmm. kinds of things. How would you? Let's role play a little bit. I'm 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 Catholic, and I'm I'm relying in some way on my works to sustain my salvation. What would you say to me? And how would you how would you share the gospel uh, with someone in my situation? Yeah. So first. What, what, what I would say to our listeners is because this is a sensitive thing, because family, friends, and, and whatnot, is Paul charges Timothy as well, is when you're correcting opponents to do so with gentleness, mm -hmm. to do so with patience, mm -hmm. so, so that you can win your hearing. So uh, I wouldn't go be like, I just listen to saints and society. I'll tell you six reasons why you're wrong or something <laughs> like that and beat yeah. people over the head with this. And, and so I think with a lot of grace, with a lot of humility, with a lot of patience, with a lot of gentleness and love, we engage conversations like this. I think a very simple question can be this. And I've asked people this. If you stood before God in heaven at the pearly gates and God asked you the question, why should I let you in? How would you respond to a question like that? I think that's a good question to ask a Catholic. I think that's a good question to ask SE. I think it's a good question to ask Christians mm -hmm. and Protestants and, and people across the board. In fact, I've asked an SDA question this before and she answered and she listed all the things that she does or doesn't do. And then this is the, one of the first people that's ever uh, did this is she asked, well, what would you say? And, and so I was able to say like, I would just point. I would point to Jesus and I would say, I'm not worthy to come in. The only way that I could come in is by this man right here, this man's life, this man's obedience, all that this man has done for me, this is it. Like I have no other means way to enter in other than just pointing to him. And I think that's the direction we can go because I think that's a telling question. Like asking questions like that, asking questions like, Hey, are there things in life that makes, that make God's love for you rise or fall? I think that's another good question. And, and, and again, if we're basing it upon our works and sure God's level rise and fall, if we base it on the fact that God's immutable and then, and he is satisfied in the work of Christ that's been given to us and that our lives are hidden in his life or his love burns hot all the time. Mm -hmm. So there's, it's not based upon our actions. It's not based upon our works. It's not based upon our good days or bad days. And so I think you would start to hear those things and, and then take people and say, like, have you ever read Ephesians 2, 8? Have you ever read uh, Paul's letter to the Romans? Have you ever read Galatians? Like, I would love to work through a book like that with you. Would, would you be willing to do that and work through a book like mm -hmm. that? I mean, we have been saved by grace alone. This is not our own doing so that no man may boast. And so I think if their question gives boast to anything they do, it goes back to a Matthew 7 where Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness and never knew. They did the same thing. They're like, we cast out demons in your name. We did this in your name. And they pointed to everything they did instead of pointing to everything that he did being Jesus. So yes. great, graciously, patiently asking questions about, yeah, like, like again, how they view God's love for them and 
what makes that spike or fall. Mm -hmm. I guess, yeah. Do you you have any other questions or ways that you would engage? Uh, I would say, depending on how the conversation unfolded and obviously with gentleness and kindness, like we've already said, if the response to the question of what would you say to God if he asked you, why should I let you? And if they say, here's a list of things I should and shouldn't do, I would probably ask a follow-up question of like, if you died right now, what do you think you'd say? Yeah, it's good. Like, like how how are you doing? How's the list going? Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, you know, you might have someone say, great. You know, I helped an old lady walk across the street this morning. Yeah. So I'd be set. Or I think if they were probably more honest, they'd, they'd reveal some anxiety and some fear that I don't really know. Uh, and then I think you can say, wouldn't it be nice if, if there was some security and knowing that God's already done everything required mm-hmm. uh, so that you don't have to live your life in fear. And then there's, you know, we don't have a spirit of fear, mm-hmm. <laughs> but one of, uh, power, love, and self-control, power, love, and self-control. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so I think I think getting to the 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 emotional side of the pressure that one must must feel that they have to somehow live up to a standard that they can never live up to. Yeah, and then to offer a better, a freeing path, uh, a freeing way that's in Christ. Yeah, so. show them God's faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Look at the Israelites in the Old Testament. Do you see them getting drastically better? No, you see God remaining faithful yeah. to His covenant and His grace, mm-hmm. and so yeah. I think as much as you can in scripture showing them the sufficiency of the cross yeah yeah great well thanks everyone for tuning into this conversation uh we plan to do more of these to cover some other other worldviews other religions denominations uh and yeah to just call out in a way and identify uh ways that the gospel can be watered down uh oftentimes in really deceptive ways so uh thanks for tuning in we'll catch you next time